0: My name is Clelia Pergola, the Chief Operating Officer at the New Jersey Elder Law Center at Goldberg Law Group. In my role as COO, I am confronted daily with families in need, in need of attention, resources, and a plan. These families all have one thing in common, and they may not even know it. They all seek the one thing that their senior members can provide them, and that all parents might provide their children and grandchildren. They're looking to maintain their legacy. My name is Claudia Pergola, and I am here to focus on your legacy. Barbara Menino is an award-winning journalist, author, and content writer who creates the human touch points that forge emotional connections with her audience. She gets her sources, the attention, that positions them as thought leaders and her clients the traffic, leads, and conversions they need. Barbara tells stories that address people's problems and open the door to their hopes and dreams. She develops content that's a win-win for those she represents and writes about and for the audiences her sources and clients serve. Barbara has written for Fox Business Network, Entrepreneur.com, Huffington Post, and Best Week and Best Reviews Magazine. She has also held senior editorial positions in Fortune 500 corporations and created powerful content for small and mid-sized businesses. Recognized as a professional who researches thoroughly, interviews thoughtfully, and listens attentively before she picks up her pen, Barbara has earned many awards for excellence in communications and journalism from leading organizations and corporations and we don't want to forget to mention that she is the co-author to my book our book the law firm revolution so welcome Barbara hello how are you I have to tell you just spitting out your resume is super impressive
1: are I mean are you impressed with yourself I'm proud um, of my accomplishments I would say and um, it's just always nice to be recognized gives me a good feeling you are I have
0: enjoyed every single time you and I have spoken you your bio is I don't know if you wrote it or someone helped you write it but it Hits the nail on the head. You definitely convey who you are and how you do your job uh, in your bio. You definitely listen intently, and you have helped me so much tell my story throughout the years. So
1: thank you thanks. very much, Kalelia. We have uh, we go back a-, a ways, actually.
0: We do. We do. You know you know, the entire family. I know, I know a bit of your family.
1: Yep. Yep. No deep dark dark secrets
0: though.
1: No deep dark secrets yet. (laughs) Aunt Marissa uh, and I are now friends on Facebook as well. So we like or comment on each other's posts. But before that, it was your mom, of course, uh, your stepdad, Pete your in-laws, Frank and Linda, the whole crew. And Brandon, he's now on my Facebook page too. That's
0: amazing. That's amazing. And, and, and you're amazing. Um, I you. have learned so much. You know who I, I mean, we always get into Clementine. So we'll have to tell the audience who
1: Clementine is, who's Clementine. Clementine is my granddaughter. She is my only granddaughter. She is eight years old. She turned eight on April 18th. Um, She loves to write stories like me, who she calls Babby. And from the time uh, she was little um, and had all this curly hair, Uh, We would be together, and if we would encounter a problem, and I put that in quotes, but if we would encounter an issue, I would tell her that we were solution partners, pulled that from my consulting days, and that we would solve problems together. And so to this day, we high five each other and say solution partners when something comes up and we have to put our heads together to solve it. How beautiful! How beautiful you to have that relationship with her yeah
0: she's a love we're very close so it's very special reminds me of my grandma yeah um and so the and the other special woman
1: yeah
0: is is your mama yeah absolutely i feel like i i know her so tell tell the audience a little bit about peg
1: so um She really was an amazing woman, and I jokingly call her the original feminist because she was amazingly resilient. Going back to the time when she um, was growing up, She experienced her sister dying when her sister was 17 and my mother was a little younger. And my mother became the prime mover in managing a lot of the family's personal business. My Uncle Tom, for example, went to Villanova. And he found it a little too religious and he wanted to switch to NYU. And it was my mom that had to go down and talk to the Dean and get the problem settled. And so I heard a lot of those stories growing up, but then I got to see my mother in action because when she was only 54, my dad died very suddenly and she was unexpectedly left a widow and they had been married 30 years, they were very close. It was devastating for her and for me, but she picked herself up by the bootstraps. And uh, two years later, she went back to work. She said, I love my friends, but they're all married and I need something for me. And she worked till she was 83. Um, She was 72 when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She um, had a mastectomy. Um, She used to come to my house with her prosthesis in a hat box if she came to stay overnight, a pretty flowered hat box. She had two of them and she would change. In all of this, she never said, why me? And five days before she died, when she looked at Meredith, my daughter Meredith and me, and said, It's my time, and Meredith said, "Oh, Gami, don't say that." And she said, "Oh, Meredith, it is my time." She said, "I've had a wonderful life, great family, great friends." And then there was an ever so slight pregnant pause, and she said, "Great clothes. I couldn't have asked for a better life." And she believed that, and. At 86 and a half, I think she was ready to call it a day because she realized she couldn't have the independence that she had been so used to. So that's kind of why I call her the original feminist because she wasn't out to prove any points. She just was, she was just authentic. She was just strong. She was willing to take risks and stick her toe in the water. And at the same time, she hated to fly, She didn't like to drive on highways. And for some bizarre reason, when she would go through toll booths, she would always toot her horn. So she was this wonderful blend. She was a fashion plate. She was always dressed to the nines impeccably. Didn't like to wear flat shoes. Always had to have even the slightest heel. She was quite a lady. Quite, quite a lady.
0: She's a woman after my own heart. You always tell me about this, elegant woman and her out and her outfits I mean that's what I remember and in, in your stories that she was just like this always put together and you said even till the to ver- till the very end and it speaks so much to to who she is as a person right like beneath there's so much more than fashion, right? Like that she liked things just so that she cared about herself. She cared about others. Uh, so I think you get a real sense of who somebody is, and I feel like I feel like I know her. I feel like we're I feel like we're kindred spirits, to say the but least.
1: She I, and you. Yes, you would have loved her, and you you would have been kindred spirits. Just speaking of the fashion piece, it's, it's so funny. She really did have beautiful clothes. And um, she had this one purple, it was a beautiful shade of purple mohair coat. And on Saturdays when she would go to the hair salon, she would seemingly always wear this coat. And again to this day, and keep in mind that she died in 2001, so we're going back a ways. I will run into people, or if I ever post about her on Facebook, people that knew her would write in and say, oh, Peg. And several of them say, I always remember her as this vision in this beautiful purple mohair coat. She really left her mark. And, and she left her mark as a good human, not just as a fashionista, but that she had all those sides, that she could laugh, that she could make fun of herself. There were lessons and role modeling all around. Again, quite an incredible woman. So talk, talking
0: about lessons and life and legacy, and you're, you're helping me with my, my second book, Life Lessons and Legacy. And that's why we're here on what's your legacy? Is because we think that I know that you have the same belief system as me. Is that legacy isn't the things we leave behind, but it's the values and the memories that we leave for generations to come. And the story and the way that you talk about her. It could be that you're a writer. I'm not really sure, but (laughs) the way that you speak about her and you really get a sense of who she is and i know from knowing you for so long that you embody a lot of her values and it's you're always you're always just right you're always just put together you always have a new hairstyle i feel like um long (laughs) i know but i always tell like when you get your hair um when you do the the relaxer, or you yep. cut your hair, yeah. but always just right. Um, and the way, like your bio said, the way that you touch people when they encounter you, and I think that that's a a reflection of your of your mom. Do you think that?
1: I do. Um, I, I I I truly do because. She was the type of person everybody knew. You know, um, she, we lived in Westfield for years. Ross and I still live in Westfield. And now Keith, you know, my son, Clementine's dad and Meredith, my daughter, you know, both of them, they live in Westfield, too. So it's very nice. But my mother... Westfield was a town with a lot of small stores, small business people everyone in town knew my mother you know they all knew Peg her real name by the way was Margaret but and everybody used to call her Marge apparently but then when she met my dad um, he started to call her Peg and that was the name that's that's stuck so everyone knew her and it's funny people say of me Barbara knows everybody everybody knows Barbara and it's kind of a little bit the same and it It comes from just being open to the possibilities, right? I mean, to me, there's an adventure around every corner. You could be walking downtown and have a funny experience or run into something or something awkward would happen and something good comes of it, something amusing, humorous. Um, And it's just kind of an outlook on life that helps you keep on keeping on, but also enjoying the keeping on, keeping on. So I have to ask you, do you, you're very much alike
0: with with your mom, the way that you describe her, the way that I know you, is that something that is intentional, unintentional, when did you realize that you were like more like your mom than you thought?
1: I think it was, it's definitely unintentional. Um, and you know, till I was 20, maybe 25, I was, well, I was going to say I was shy, but I, I'm not sure that that's actually correct either because, uh, I'm laughing. When I graduated from high school, I was I was voted class sunshine, along with a fellow named Jimmy Smith. Our picture is in the yearbook wearing uh, raincoats and holding an umbrella. So I, I guess it was always there. But as I got older, and I think had my own kids, um, and then when I returned to the workforce, when the kids were a little bit older, and I was in my 40s somewhere. And really in my early 50s, my career started to take off. I think that's when I became even more like my mom. Um, I wasn't afraid to take chances, to dip my toe in the water, to try new experiences. Um, wasn't afraid to bounce back or did bounce back in the face of disappointments. And so I, I guess I just kind of lived it and evolved and I'm still evolving and I joke that I'm on fire. And indeed, when my mother was in her 70s and even 80s, if you'd said, are you on fire, Peg? She would have said, yes, I am. She pretty much felt that way till the end. So it was that's, just there for me all the time. And it, it looked like a very rewarding way to live. That's I, amazing.
0: I, do, you think, do you think that, I mean, I would love to have a, a doctor on here one day and be able to pick his brain, but do you think it's a subconscious thing that observing her... As she aged, it stuck with you, and you just naturally kind of picked
1: up. Yeah, I do. I think, you know, I assimilated it naturally, and we were always very close. She was close to my children. And so it was just there for the t- and it worked for her. And maybe that's it, that I saw it worked and I thought, wow, that is the way to live. She didn't ask for a lot, you know, she wasn't spoiled. She wasn't demanding. And so that was, and again, I will repeat, she just was, she was just the real deal. And she never, never, never said, why me? And, And that's pretty special. She so had when, fair share of hardships.
0: And, the, and, and so that's where I was going with this is the, I always look at people like her that are so happy and free spirited and their aura is just so welcoming and loving. And I'm like, especially when they're older, I'm like, God, I hope that I'm that nice. Like I hope that I'm that loving. I hope I'm not this miserable old Italian woman, but it's, I wanna ask you, and this might be a difficult question, is when when she had the mastectomy, a woman that was always put together, how did you see that affect her? And did you really see, how did she let anybody really see that
1: affect her or was she kind of strong? So when she was first diagnosed, I think it bothered her. I know it did. And I remember we went to a few physicians. We discussed getting lumpectomies versus mastectomies. We went down to the radiology department to see what getting radiation would have been like after the surgery. And I remember her saying, I, this radiation place really depresses me. She said, I want no part of this. I'm going to have a mastectomy. I don't want a lumpectomy. And again, you know, resilience and acceptance. And then after the fact, she went and got fitted for the prostheses. So she had two, I think, as I recall, at least two, so she could change off and she would keep them in these hat boxes. She was working at the time and she called her boss after being home for four weeks. And she said, I wanna come back as soon as possible. She said, I'm tired of sitting home in my bathrobe. It gets me depressed. She said, I'm ready to come back. And she was back to work within six weeks. And you'd never know she'd had the surgery. So I have to say, it was like a blip on the radar again because Uh, she just mastered it that's amazing that you have to be
0: a special truly a special person to have something like that happen and for it not to affect you so much that it affects those around you Um, because so much of what we go through i think you think that it's just you, but it's not, it's at the weight of the world because, you know, I know that if I personally go through something, you know, my mom is suffering, my aunt's suffering, my uncle's suffering, my husband's suffering, like, you know, it's the community that suffers with you. So, um, such a beautiful spirit for her to to be strong. And do you ever, do you ever growing up, look at her like, at any point in your life where you're like, I want to be half the woman that she is and almost fearful that you couldn't live up to it?
1: No, that's interesting. Maybe. I'll tell you what I do think. So here's a version of that. I think if... So if I have, I'm going to call them failures, but I'm going to use air quotes. But if something goes wrong, and I feel that I may have contributed to that happening, I sometimes think, what would my mom say? Would she be disappointed? I, what would my dad say? Would would he be disappointed what would my aunt mary who we called mimi and uncle tom say just like with your family we were a family and so yes my mother obviously was the prime mover but there were all these other people and my in-laws were important to me as as well i i would like to mention my mother-in-law because Very, It's a very interesting thing also. I think that the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship can be a very difficult one. And I felt that when I was first married that my mother-in-law and I may have been a little competitive for not so much my husband's attention, but for family stuff. And keep in mind that my dad had just died a year not even fully a year before Ross and I were married and Ross came from a large family and they were always doing stuff and so sometimes I think I resented a little bit of that because I was worried about my mother being left alone or what have you but over the years my mother-in-law and I forged such a wonderful relationship and several days before she died, and she had received not such a good prognosis, obviously, from her doctor. She said to my sister-in-laws, and one of them said to me, my mother needs to talk to you. My mother said, I want to talk to Barbara and explain this to her. And I thought, But that was really a great honor. And talk about relationships that evolve. It was a great honor. It's very special to me. Stay tuned for our next episode.